Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today we read 2 Chronicles chapter 16. In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Baasha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might permit no one to go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa took silver and gold from the treasures of the house of Yahweh and the king's house, and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who lived in Damascus, saying, There is a covenant between me and you, as there was between my father and your father. Behold, I am sending to you silver and gold. Go, break your covenant with Baasha, king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. And Ben-Hadad listened to king Asa, and sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel, and they conquered Ijon, Dan, Abel, Maim, and all the store cities of Naphtali. And when Baasha heard of it, he stopped building Ramah and let his work cease. Then King Asa took all of Judah, and they carried away the stones of Ramah and its timber, with which Baasha had been building, and with them he built Geba and Mizpah. At that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa king of Judah and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on, the, on Yahweh your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on Yahweh, he gave them into your hand. For the eyes of Yahweh run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. You have done foolishly in this, for from now on you will have wars. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in the stocks in prison, for he was in a rage with him because of this, and Asa inflicted cruelties upon some of the people at the same time. The acts of Asa from first to last are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. In the thirty-ninth year of his reign Asa was diseased in his feet, and his disease became severe. Yet even in his disease he did not seek Yahweh, but sought help from physicians. And Asa slept with his fathers, dying in the forty-first year of his reign. They buried him in the tomb that he had cut for himself in the city of David. They laid on him a beer that had been filled with various kinds of spices prepared by the perfumer's art, and they made a very great fire in his honor. This is the word of the Lord. So we get a couple of chapters of good from King Asa, followed by a chapter of bad that unfortunately is the end of his life. So it does throw Asa's faith into question. This text does, without a doubt. And so what we see here is that the 36th year, so yesterday we read in the very last verse of chapter 15, there was no more war until the 35th year of the reign of Asa. Now in the 36th year, there will be. Why? because of where Asa is going to put his trust. So Basha, king of Israel, the northern kingdom, is upset by the fact that many of his people are deserting and they're going down to Jerusalem. They're going to Asa because they see that Yahweh was with him. And so they're going and they're celebrating that. They're rejoicing. They're sacrificing in the temple and so forth. So Basha is seeking to put an end to that. So he's building a city by the name of Ramah, which will be five miles, roughly, north of the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is on a high hill, uh, so it's you gotta, you got to climb to get there. So from his own kingdom, basically, Basha has picked the point where you would begin your ascent up to Jerusalem. 
and he's building a fortified city there as a blockade to stop people from Israel, the northern kingdom, from traveling south into Judah and ascending up to Jerusalem to see Asa or to see the temple. He's putting an end to this. At least he thinks he is. King Asa's response is to take silver and gold from the temple and from his own palace and send them off to Syria, to the king of Syria, Ben-Hadad, and invite Ben-Hadad to attack Israel, the northern kingdom. This is a question then to ask your children. Is this a good thing that Asa is doing, or is it a bad thing? And see if they can explain why they answer, good or bad, with that, that question. It's a bad thing, which the rest of the text will reveal. The prophet Hanani is going to come and tell the king that this is a bad thing that he's doing. But even if it were just relying on another king, this would be wrong. In fact, that's what Hanani's going to point out. Let alone to actually take the holy things of God out of his temple and send them to a pagan. That's strikingly egregious, and Hanani doesn't even bother to talk about that. And Hanani leaves that be because it's not at the root of this. The root of this is that Asa here is not trusting Yahweh. Asa believes that Basha, king of Israel, is stoking war against him, and instead of trusting Yahweh for help, he's going to another worldly ruler. And so he does. He goes to Ben-Hadad, and Ben-Hadad takes the, the bribe, which it really is, uh, payments of silver and gold, and he comes and he strikes Israel. Now, he doesn't strike Ramah. Ramah's on the southern border of Israel between Israel and Judah. He instead strikes the northern edge, which makes sense because Syria is north of Israel. So he simply comes down and hits a few cities, enough to distract Basha from what Basha had been up to. So Dan is the northernmost city in all of the land of Israel. It's also a site for the golden calves that Jeroboam had made. And then we see the store cities of Naphtali, which is one of the northernmost tribes uh, in the allotment, in the inheritance that was given by God to his people. So Basha hears of this attack on his northern border. He takes his eyes off of his southern border. He stops building Ramah. And when Ramah ceases to be built, Asa takes all the men of Judah, they go up to Ramah, they take the stones that Basha was using to build that city, and they tear it down, and they use those stones to build two cities of their own, Geba and Mizpah, which are both really close on a map uh, by our best guess of where these places ended up being, and I guess the big difference is they're under Judean control instead of being under Israelite control. So that brings us to verse 7. It brings us to the response of Hanani the prophet. Because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on Yahweh, the Syrian army has escaped you. God would have given even the Syrians to King Asa had he but asked, had he but trusted in Yahweh in these things. Hanani's going to use the, the previous battle from chapter 14, the battle at which we had the Ethiopian king by the name of Zerah, who came out with a million men 
against Asa. And Asa prayed to Yahweh, and Yahweh conquered. Not a single one of those Ethiopians made it home. Huge army. Yet you relied on Yahweh, he gave them into your hand. If Yahweh could do that, why not this? If Yahweh could take an actual army that was at your doorstep and he could defeat the whole thing of them, why are you concerned about a foreign king building a city on the edge of his territory near yours? Just ask. Trust. Ask. Believe. Yahweh will fight for you. But he doesn't. The eyes of Yahweh run to and fro throughout the whole earth is kind of an interesting picture. Uh, as you think of God looking at and seeing, observing all that is happening in creation. And he gives strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. For that, I would take you back to yesterday's chapter, chapter 15, the idea that those who seek Yahweh, he is found by them. So to be blameless toward him here is not necessarily a reference to perfection, but to trust. As Genesis chapter 15, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. You have done foolishly in this, so trusting the king of Syria instead of Yahweh, for from now on you will have wars. So the prophet has been told by God to bring the word of God to the king and that word is that you have not trusted in God, so you will have wars for the rest of your reign. And how does the king respond? See, this is that moment where after um, basically a slip-up in his faith here, we would expect Asa, who's otherwise been described as a faithful king, we would expect him to repent. But he doesn't. He does not repent. Instead, he puts Hanani in the stocks in prison. I can't guarantee that the stocks looked like, in the Old Testament time, the same thing that we think of when we think of the stocks. So when you think of stocks today, uh, it's a picture of the, the wooden contraption where you've got basically a block of wood with three holes in it. So you can put that, you, you open up the block, it splits in the middle, and you've got the three half circles on the bottom where you're going to rest the person's arms, one on each side, and then the head in the middle. And then you close the top bar across it uh, so they're trapped in there, um, oftentimes used to mock them. So this is in a prison where he's put in these stocks. Hanani is not the only prophet of Israel, of God's people, to be imprisoned in such a way. The prophet Jeremiah is probably the most noteworthy, but that's a couple hundred years in the future. So he's raged, enraged, with Hanani, and thus also with God, really. If you're going to take this action against God's prophet, his spokesman, you're taking this action against God himself. Not only this, so he has failed to repent of his sin, he's also now ruling unjustly against his own people, uh, inflicting cruelties upon them. So the reign of Asa is wrapped up here uh, with the next paragraph at verse 11 that it has been written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. That may well be first and second kings, which were not actually first and second, just as this is not first and second chronicles. They were one book 
just Chronicles, just Kings, just Samuel, uh, when they were originally written. 39th year of the reign of Asa, which puts you close to 872 B.C., he becomes diseased in his feet. And this is, again, a symbol in his life of unrepentance. Where does he go with his disease? And this is a question really for a family to consider together. When we have disease, when we are sick, when our bodies are not working the way God first created them to work, where do we go? And oftentimes our first thought is a doctor or the internet, right? Uh, Literally WebMD, web doctor, uh, as we doctor ourselves. How often is our first thought to trust the Lord? and to seek his care, his healing. I'm not saying that the Lord cannot work through a physician. I'm not saying that the Lord does not use the men and women who study medicine and study to be doctors and nurses. Where I'm aiming at is the intent of our heart. And oftentimes our heart forgets Yahweh. Oftentimes our heart forgets Christ. And we need that reminder. So the Lord, indeed, as we saw yesterday in chapter 15, and I had you have that family conversation about who brings disaster. You know, the Lord can bring disease. I'm reminded of the, the man born blind, and the disciples asked Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was, that he was born this way? And Jesus' response in John chapter 9 He said, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We have no idea why the Lord allows us to fall diseased. We don't. Uh, To say that we know for certain is to try to read into the hidden things of God. It may well be that God has brought about a disease on you so that he can heal it and show you that he is for you, that he cares for you, that he will provide. So a strengthening of your faith in that way. It might be that the Lord has allowed a disease to befall you or brought a disease upon you in order that, well, to humble you. That you have gotten too prideful in thinking that you can do this on your own. And so the disease, the suffering, points you back to Christ. This would be like Paul's thorn in the flesh that he three times asked the Lord to remove from him, but the Lord was proving to Paul through that thorn in his flesh, whether it was a physical illness or a particularly trying temptation, we don't know what it was. Paul never identifies it clearly for us, but God leaves it with him so that Paul can recognize that in his weakness, then he is strong. Because then the Lord is working through him rather than Paul working through himself. So Asa turns to the wrong place. The last, what, four years, five years of Asa's reign are not faithful, are not good. And he dies. We can worldly hope that he repented. It's not told to us here. Instead, he's buried in a tomb he's cut for himself in the city of David, so in Jerusalem, and a very spiced uh, beer, 
a funeral procession, the, the kind of casket that they would have laid him in. They made a very great fire in his honor that doesn't necessarily say that they burned him, uh, but rather they just had a fire. So hard to say. Um, I mean, it's weird to think of throwing a bonfire for the death of a king. But it would be even actually stranger if this was a cremation. Cremation is not the way of God's people. Um, in the Old Testament. Even the Lord himself, when he had the opportunity to bury Moses, he buried him. To burn with fire was a pagan practice. So if that is indeed what Ace is doing, then that, that takes us even further away from being faithful. But I don't know that for sure. 